Hello again, and thanks for listening today. This is Stepping Into Freedom, the podcast about standing fast in the liberty wherewith we have been made free from Alma 5840 in the Book of Mormon. Uh, we have a super fun couple on today on this one. Um, Jeff and Kathy, oh my gosh, I'm going to slaughter it. Tykert, Tykert. He corrects me in the interview, so the the correct pronunciation of his name is there. (laughs) Um, So they are on today to talk about um, overcoming hate and anger. Um, So... I don't know. It's, I think it's a really fun story because both of them have been like been through the same thing. It's not like you know, like with Colette and I, it's Colette's first marriage, my second, and ours didn't end. Like my my first marriage didn't end in divorce. So uh, with Jeff and Kathy in this one, you know, both of them actually. Um, I remember a little blip they had said uh, part way through the episode where they're. This is actually they're actually for them. It's both of their third marriage. Um, is it weird being like, oh, third time's a charm? Maybe. I don't know if that's too stupid to say or not. But anyways. They seem super in love and happy. And yeah. They're working on a book together now and that should help both married and uh, singles who are over 20 and looking for love. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like the, the, in the, the right way. There's a group that they run, Love in Later Years, and it's for anyone who is past the possibility of a first marriage in their 20s. So um, they said later years, I'm like, what, do we qualify for that? I mean, <laughs> we're in our 30s. They're like, well, technically, yes, because, you know, we're kind of liberal with how we do the group that they run with about the, the whole acronym Lily, Love in Later Years. So they'll mention that in there. Intend to that. We'll provide links in the description for this episode. But there's a lot of good stuff they covered in here. Absolutely. It was a pleasure to, to talk to them and to hear their s- story and also see how the Lord has worked through them to help them um, be open to love again after their their experiences with their first so marriages. much struggle. <laughs> and how what they've learned they're applying to their, their current marriage and yeah. and making it so that they don't have to experience that, that hardship again. Uh-huh. And I like the kind of when Jeff was kind of talking about um, like people who he's talking about, you know, people who say they learned from their first marriage or whatever it was, um, especially if they're divorced. It's like, and he, he's like, the, the people who he finds out, Oh, wait a minute. All you learned was what not to do. You learned what to watch out for. You learned to be afraid of things. And he's like, that's that. No, 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 no. You know, going into marriage is supposed to be learning what to do, what love does look like, not what it doesn't look like. Cause if you don't know what it does look like, whether you had a failed marriage or not, it's, it's not, yeah, not going to be any better. <laughs> yeah. um, it's better to learn from the experiences you've gone through and learn that through Christ you can overcome those, those weaknesses or those, those challenges. So you don't have to repeat them again and know what you're looking for in the next, if it didn't work the first time, know what you're looking for in the in this in the marriage that follows. Yeah, I, and, and if it, you're in your sa- in your first marriage, just look, learn from those those experiences so that you don't repeat them moving forward. Like today's a new day, let's start fresh. With the Lord, we can do this. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of stuff that uh, Jeff and 
Kathy talk about in here, you know, with like between each other. Whereas they're like, you know, okay, we discussed, okay, with this, how are we going to deal with things when, you know, if we have a disagreement or something or uh, somebody feels hurt about something somebody said or did or whatever, they, they kind of went over, they discussed in here that they went over that with each other and uh, came up with some solutions, which you'll hear, which I won't spoil um, <laughs> in this one. So um, thanks again uh, to Jessica for uh, Jess Sellers for recommending these two because man this was great um so yeah lots of good stuff in here um and enjoy so this one's uh kind of a i guess we've got uh jeff okay pronounce your last name jeff uh tigert tigert thank you i'm like i'm gonna say it wrong <laughs> so we have jeff tigert on today um and uh, and my wife, Kathy, as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for uh, introducing Kathy. Um, so this is kind of an uh, interesting one. Jess, uh, my uh, co-host who was with me uh, quite a few episodes back, um, had suggested Jeff, and I trust her judgment. So I'm just like, yeah, let's have him on. This sounds great. And um, so we've got me and Colette and Jeff and Kathy and uh, Jess here today, so um, yeah, thanks for the suggestion, Jess. <laughs> yeah, it should be great. I really enjoyed getting to know Jeff and Kathy, you know, through their, um, they have a Facebook group um, called Love and Later Years, and I actually joined it because I'm still single, still working on that, so I've actually loved hearing some of their stories, and I thought you would enjoy it too, you know learning how to productively navigate this life after divorce thing because a lot of people, myself included, it kind of feels like the end of your life when you get to that point. You know, you build something up for such a long period of time and you put so much into it and then all of a sudden it's gone. Um, and then what do you do? You know, especially if you're trying to keep your faith. Yeah. And so I just really appreciated what these two have done you know to help other people navigate that stressful situation so that they're you know they can feel a little bit more hopeful awesome so jeff can you just kind of give our listeners a bit of a general introduction for yourself kind of i guess where you're from what you do maybe a bit about your testimony whatever else you feel is <laughs> pertinent well uh with my lovely wife Kathy and uh, I'm an attorney that's my day job I, uh, I've been an attorney since 1994 and uh, I've had briefs filed in everything from mun local municipal courts up to the United States Supreme Court so I've I've got a broad breadth, breadth of experience uh, and uh, my, of course, my passion when it comes to the law is the United States Constitution. Um, I got involved in the project that Kathy and I are doing, uh, Love in Later Years. I started five years ago writing a book about dating for Latter-day Saint mid-singles. And for whatever reason, I just, I wrote parts of about three or four chapters and realized I wasn't ready to finish it. And I shelved it. And then one night, I don't know, several months ago now, I couldn't sleep. And I went down. It was in April. 
something like that. I went down to my office, uh, my home office, and it just seemed too heavy to work on legal stuff at three o'clock in the morning. So <laughs> I, I started looking through my computer, oh, you know, what else do I have here? And, and I remembered that I had started writing this book and I started, I picked it up again and I, I refreshed my memory about what I'd written so far and I, I just started writing again. And uh, I, uh, the next day I, I told Kathy about it and I said, you know, I, here was this thing I started before I even knew you and um, I think this has possibilities and her first response was, I want in. <laughs> and so we've written this book together and we're working on, on uh, publishing options um, and uh, very excited about it. We've got had reviews from three very... Um, three best-selling authors uh, who have looked at it and a, a bunch of other beta readers as well. So we're excited about the Love and Later Years project and the book work we have coming out. And um, and the book is called Intentional Courtship, uh, A Mid-Singles Guide to Peace, Progress, and Pairing Up in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And uh, I have a strong testimony that... that kind of came to me when I was 18 years old before uh, before I went on my mission. And in fact, it was what prompted me to go on my mission. And that's a, a whole other story, I guess. But uh, I'll give Kathy a chance to introduce herself. She's a very accomplished musician and, and uh, of course, my partner in this project and my partner in life. So uh, I'm a Suzuki violin teacher. I have about 25 students in my studio, and I'm active in the Suzuki Association of Utah. Um, I'm helping with the celebration concert that we're doing next year and coming up with all sorts of alternatives because of COVID to make sure that this concert happens one way or another, no matter what. Um, luckily, our guest artist actually is uh, a YouTube artist. He has 3 million followers, like 3 million subscribers. He has thousands of people watch his videos as soon as they come out. So we have some technology options if we need to go completely virtual with this so concert. Who, 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 is you, who did you say was the YouTube personnel? Oh, um, it's, uh, oh gosh. Now, of course, I forget his name like, right now. I can't now. think of it either. Uh, Rob Landis. Rob Landis. Great violinist. Yeah, he's a violinist, and he does lots of funny videos. Like, uh, he crashes Zoom classrooms, and, like, he, like, does all these crazy stuff with his violin. <laughs> he, like, he once drove through, like, drive through restaurants, like, and serenaded the the person handing him water. He had, he ordered water. Anyway, he just does funny things, like, with his violin online, and people love it. <laughs> anyway, so... That's, uh, that's something I do, and then I've also been in a string quartet for about 20 years. We play for weddings, like, all the time. So it's fun. It's, it's cool. been fun for me to see new love and sometimes sit closer to the bride and groom than the, their parents, like people <laughs> I don't even know. It's awesome. <laughs> wow. The thing I should mention, too, about both of us is we didn't discover this until we'd been dating for a while, but both of us have our bachelor's degrees in family science from different universities. Mine was from BYU and hers was from I know, from this Utah is like State. totally obscure degree that hardly anyone gets. We both have one. Did you know, have Colette's? Uh, did you say Colette does? Yeah, I have it from Utah State. Oh, I went Same to Utah State. Yeah, go Aggies. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we both have that degree, and I guess it, it, it reflects our, our interest in human relationships and 
you know, what makes a strong relationship. We both have been through divorce, so we haven't had a perfect record in that regard, but we, we both care about that a lot. So. That's awesome. That's interesting. I'm going to have to have, uh, have you get me in touch with the people who gave you uh, some reviews because I'm working on a book right now called Stepping Into Freedom, named after the podcast, and it's kind of in, in memoir style, but I'm like, can you guys read my book too? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you about it. We've got a great forward by a great author who, you know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners would know the name, and then uh, several other endorsements from two of them from best-selling authors. So. Cool. I just think it's fascinating. Um, I took, I did not major in family science, but I did definitely take a lot of classes. And um, when I had children, I actually studied it um, for about 10 years because I was homeschooling my kids. And so I wanted to make sure that I really understood the whole child development and, and family stuff. So I was just going to say this stuff is really close to my heart too um, awesome. for a lot of reasons. Cool. Well, well, that's why we all get along. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, so, so Jeff, I guess we'll get started here with uh, with your story, or if more come up, then great between you and Kathy. But uh, <laughs> um, could you kind of give it? I guess give our listeners a background on kind of where the just I guess the very beginnings of your struggles came, and you know what what in the beginning was so hard about uh, that process for you. Well, you know, there's a, this is a hard story to tell from the standpoint of I, I want to respect my former wife's privacy and, and um, you know, and, and she and I truly are not enemies anymore. Um, I can tell you, though, that from the beginning almost, uh, my marriage to my, my first wife was difficult. And... You know, I can say things like, I think on our wedding day, she had cold feet and wondered if that was the spirit telling her not to do it. And so I have certain issues with the whole idea of Saturday's Warrior and My Turn on Earth. Not, not that I have really any issues with either of those productions. They're fine. But the idea that you know, maybe I married the wrong person that God intended me for someone else would be the reason to break up a temple marriage. You know, it's that that's a hard one for me. Um, but for years, my former wife struggled with that idea. Yeah. And I, I don't you married the wrong person. Right. And maybe God wanted her with someone different. And um and the idea that that would be a reason to break up a temple marriage seems crazy to me. But in any case, I don't want to suggest that that was at the center of all of the issues, but it was always sort of a lingering thing. Uh, and I don't want to go into too much detail about the, the issues that she and I had. What I will tell you is that I was firmly committed to making – marriage work and I, I really did the best I could at the time uh, and it, I mean poured heart and soul into it uh, made some kind of dumb life decisions in the way I spent money and things trying to just keep keep her happy and tr trying to make uh, make the marriage last and and as I look back, all the ways that I approached it weren't always healthy. They were the best I knew at the time. 
when uh, when you know better, you do better, right? Yeah, that quote's in our book, actually. Um, but yeah, I I, I think um, I had I had certain ideas about marriage coming in, and she had certain ideas. One that I will, you know, that I don't think would would violate her privacy to talk about is, and it was a big issue. It was. If you've read Harriet Lerner's book, uh, The Dance of Intimacy, Mm. he talks about the the pursuer-distance or polarity. And in my marriage to my first wife, I was the pursuer and she was the distancer. And so the more I would pursue, the more she would distance, the more she would distance, the more I would pursue, and round and round we go. And and so she spent a lot of our marriage feeling smothered. I spent a lot of our marriage feeling pushed away. And it was not a healthy it was not a healthy dynamic. Uh, and I think in that situation, Harriet Lerner says that the the two partners actually become exaggerated in their preferences because the one is always feeling smothered so he or she always seems like they want a way they they want rid of this person and and the other one craves so much more than the other is giving that they seem like they have an insatiable desire for the other person's attention i I have personally been there um and like in my first marriage um I mean, with with Lorraine, it was from PTSD, a lot of the stuff that went wrong up there between us. And so, I mean, that wasn't like an issue of, oh, we, you know, we don't, you know, not want to be together. It was just, you know, this this constant, like like you said, around and around we go. Like this, you know, her PTSD was kind of causing this dynamic of, uh, you know, whenever I get, whenever we kind of have a close moment, it was like her PTSD flares up and it was like, oh no, I'm going to get hurt if I get too close. Um, from her past experiences with abuse and trauma and stuff like that from other people before me. And uh, so yeah, I've, that is not a fun circle to be going around and around in. Well, and, and I can tell you, Paul, um, with my first wife, there was trauma in the past too. I'm not going to, to go into any detail about that, but it was... That was a serious issue in in the relationship, and um, at the same time, I really did love her. I really did want her to be my companion. I wanted us to work it out, and I honestly believe that that you can work that situation out uh, with the right counseling, the right help, um, and and there needs to be, the trauma needs to be addressed as well. Uh, I, I don't believe that if uh, one of our listeners is finding themselves in that situation that divorce is the only choice, I wouldn't go into a marriage knowing you have a big intimacy gap where one person you know, wants a lot more connection than the other yeah. because I think you're setting yourself up for some difficulties. But if anybody finds themselves in that situation and they're married to someone where they have a big gap in that regard, I think there are ways you can settle on agreements to that will help you both get what you want in the marriage. So I, I don't think that's a hopeless situation. But anyway, for us, it became really a defining thing in our marriage. I can tell you when, when I could really we we went through counseling a couple of times and the second time was was before it ended 
uh, the first time was three years in, and and this theme that I just mentioned was was front and center both times. Um, but anyway, when we when we went back to counseling the last time, I I could tell that her heart was not in it. Um, she was kind of doing it to please her parents and other people, but she she had made up her yeah, mind. There, there's a another episode we had on here with a guy who uh, down in St. George who. Um, the dynamic was similar with uh, with his first divorce. Or first, I shouldn't say with his divorce, <laughs> um, where she just you know he said that she just showed so many signs of you know I've checked out ages ago kind of thing. Yeah, and that's that's really what I was seeing. We had had a series of reverses, and you know it came around the two thousand eight financial crisis. My business, I, I was representing a lot of construction companies. And, well, I won't say a lot, but my major clients were construction companies and they were going belly up. And I, you know, I got left holding the bag for $100,000 worth of fees. Um, I had just lost a hotly contested election for the State Court of Appeals. There were, there were a bunch of things in my life that were very difficult at that time. And, and then and I, and I think she just did not have enough left in the tank for our marriage it was like at that point she was, I, I, I'm not interested anymore. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, I, I don't want to say this. I, I don't want it to be dramatic, but I really did hate her for a while, um, with the decisions she was making. And it, it was not just to leave our marriage, although that's where it centered, you know, she was leaving the church at the same time. Oh, that's rough. Um, she, uh, you know, and and um, and yeah, there there were issues with, you know, the kids, and she hadn't been around for three years really because she was in a master's program and never home. But then she wanted full custody, and that was that was you know there there were a lot of issues surrounding. The divorce, and I—I I don't. I knew when I was eighteen, for example, that love your enemies, bless them that curse you. Well, that—that that passage ends in "be therefore perfect," and my belief is that that that's for a reason. That that the hardest thing we do in our pursuit of perfection is learning to love our enemies. And I remember, I, I knew that intellectually at 18, but I'd never really had an enemy, uh, really. I'd never really hated anyone before, and I did. I hated her. I mean, I wanted terrible things to happen to her. I wouldn't have done anything to cause that, but, but I personally just had nothing but contempt and hatred for her for a period of time. And I don't say that um, with any sense of, of pride or... Or happiness. I mean, you know, I'm not proud of those feelings at all. It's like a matter of I, I, I wish I hadn't, kind of thing. Right. Yeah, and some some of our readers even wanted him to like uh, tone that down. tone down his language. That you know, he was trying to be sincerely expressive of his feelings because um, he's aware of them. Yeah. And uh, and I don't feel that way about her anymore. But but I boy, for a while I I did. Yeah, I know and, Colette has. <laughs> Some, uh, well, I, I don't even think I've ever heard of one story of you actually, like, quote-unquote, hating somebody, but I know you've had a lot of experience with, uh, 
having to overcome feelings of, oh, I just don't want anything good for that person. <laughs> Something I have learned that even though when you feel those negative feelings, you can feel through them, but turn to the Lord and um, be able to still love them, even though what they've done is terrible. <laughs> I love this love your enemies concept. It, it is difficult and it's bringing up a lot of memories for me with my past marriage and divorce and um, like I was never a person who ever said a bad word in my whole life and for some reason the last like month before the divorce actually went through it was just like a yelling match every single day and uh, open up the book <laughs> might have been some bad words said but I'm not normally that kind of a person you know like hardly ever and and so it's just interesting I, and I think okay well where does all that emotion come from you know and I think there's a lot of you know you expect someone to be a certain way and then they act differently than you expect and and especially if you know you had a lot of love you know but if you never felt something for another person it would be hard to have a lot of negative feelings if there were never good feelings to begin with yeah. mm -hmm. I, I think you know with my with my former wife there was there was a sense of anger I guess in giving up on something that I had put so much into and felt like she had never really fully engaged and checked in and there was a lot of anger related to, to my perception of that um, did you feel like you were feeling more than she did oh yeah for sure and that frustrated you yeah I mean I, I and you know I, I had a really I think in a way a self-righteous feeling of well I'm keeping my covenants and I really you know cared about this when we got married and she didn't you know or doesn't you know it means nothing to her and you know I'm not saying that was the right thing but that's what I thought at the time and I remember thinking about those words pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you and I I remember kneeling down a couple of times and trying to, to pray for her like that. I literally could not do it. Yeah. If you well, if you go back and listen to um, the episode with uh, Brandon Hart this season, um, there's a moment he talks about in there about like they, they had you know they, they they would he expected the typical 30 day what do you call it grace period before it's finalized. Um, and then because his wife was, his, his uh, first wife was just so checked out and she had actually emailed the judge and he tells the story better than I do, but, um, and asked to waive it because she just, she's like, I don't want to wait. I want out now. Oh, like the waiting period. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. And you yeah, talked yeah, 90 days. Yeah. And so, um, you know, Brandon gets this email a week after this grace period starts saying, oh, it's done. It's done and over. I, I, we, we've, we've waived the, the period. At your, you know, at her request, and and uh, just you know, that's a shocking email to get. He goes home, and you know, first night with it final, like oh, quiet house, no one's here, and the thing is, he just said he felt just peace, and he knelt down next to his couch in the dark. Um, hope I'm getting the details of this right. Listen to that if, to make sure I'm not telling it wrong, but <laughs> um, and he just. He just prayed and said, Heavenly Father, thank you 
And he just, there was this prayer of like, oh my gosh, I feel this weight lifted off of me. Um, and just the, the fact that, you know, in their situation, uh, he had, you know, he had tried so hard, like you have, to, to love and to build up what was, you know, inevitably going to be be broken down. And then was able to come to a point where he just like, you know what? I don't want to hold on to anything hard. So my, I, I, I want to ask you, uh, what, what I guess, or what was maybe was there more than one thing or a, a chain of things that, that kind of helped you, you and your mind and heart come to a place where you're like, I don't want to hold on to this crap in my heart anymore. Like, what, what was there that kind of was a catalyst for that? That's a good question. And I, yeah, there are a few things. One is very early on. A good friend of mine who coincidentally has had never been married and still has not, and she's over 50, but she, um, I had great respect for her, and she had been reading a book and recommended it to me, and it was called Real Love by Dr. Greg Bear. And this book, I, I fought with it all the way through. I mean, I, my mind did not want to accept what it was saying. But the, the central premise of the book really is that love not freely given is not real. And that if you have real love, nothing else matters. If you don't, nothing else is enough. And he says most of the world is in real pain because they don't have real love. They have imitation forms of love. And those imitation forms of love are things we get from other people through manipulation or coercion or trickery or whatever that that we pressure people into giving us stuff and meeting our needs and yet our biggest need is real love and if we pressured them to do it if we manipulated them to do it we we didn't um then it's not real we and we know it deep down you know deep down we always wonder well if i hadn't you know um thrown a pity party would my wife really have had sex with me or you know whatever it is um would they would that person really have given me what i what i needed or what i wanted if i hadn't somehow made that happen i just had an agency well yeah it is agency yeah i like that you mentioned that kathy because um like with with my first marriage with lorraine in canada um and, and also now with Colette here, it's like the, the one of the huge recurring themes that I'm finding from my own personal experience is that uh, if something feels forced, um, it's not the kind of love that Elder Maxwell describes, for example. The quote from him, I'm, I might be paraphrasing it here, where he says, uh, love is never wasted. And I'm going to add on the word legit love is never wasted because its value does not rest upon reciprocity. Like if you said, the, the whole manipulation thing, if you're trying to, you know, force someone to love you, if you're trying to, you know, buy back their love or something else, it's like, even if it, quote unquote, works for the moment, it's not really going to work long term. And you're both going to feel as empty, if not emptier and lonelier. So. Right. And that's what Dr. Dr. Bear basically says is you kind of know deep down if you manipulated it, if it was imitation love that it wasn't real and so it doesn't fill you up. And, and he, he also talks about wearing masks 
you know, pretending to be someone we're not in order to be loved. And I think the thing that this book did for me was it opened me up to this whole idea that I think I, for most of our marriage, maybe the whole thing with me and my first wife, I had this idea that because we were married, I had the right to expect certain things of her. And that I had the right to, you know, that, that there were these covenants. And I'm all for covenants, don't get me wrong. But that these covenants somehow required us to do certain things for each other. And at the end of the day, I, I remember coming up with this myself thinking, all right, well, what if we were brought to the judgment bar of God? And, and God asked my wife, do you want to be with him for eternity? And she said, no. Well, Jeff, what do you think? Well, she promised. She made a covenant in the house of God. She promised she would be with me. Well, what if God said, all right, that's true. You have to be with him whether you want to or not. Yeah, would you really I mean, want to say maybe? Do you, do you, do you want her on those, under the, on those terms? And... I remember this really sort of hitting me like a ton of bricks, like, yeah, you know, there's really God honors agency now and in the future. And, and he's not going to make anybody be with anybody else. I mean, you can make a covenant, but the two of you sort of have to work that out together. And it, it requires real love, not forced love, not imitation love, not manipulated love. And I remember thinking, coming to this very painful realization for me that um, I that I think my first wife had always felt from me a little bit of judgment a little bit of I'm not quite enough and and then we start to get into this thousands of years old idea taught by the Savior himself that I was really looking at the moat in her eye instead of the beam in my own eye. And I think those are used with reference to the eye and the scriptures because they're things that keep us from seeing clearly. And I wasn't seeing clearly because my, my view of the world was, was skewed. The beam in my eye was this idea that I have, that I have a right to expect things from her. So I, just for our listeners, just just had to run because something came up. But um, you know, I, I I think that your your comments there, Jeff, about um, you know the the moat and the beam and seeing clearly. I mean, I love how timely that is, <laughs> considering everything that's going on here at the end of you know twenty twenty. And I, I I I my my mind I remembering uh, what was that meme I saw someone post the other day and something else went wrong and they're like, please don't let this be the, 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 the what do you call it? The final jeopardy round of 2020. <laughs> and right. I, it's timely because everybody needs that right now. I mean, I don't know if you guys, did you guys hear about that? Uh, it was a few days ago that um, shooting at the mall in Milwaukee. Uh, no. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, as if there wasn't enough going wrong, like how many of us need to follow that counsel exactly? You know, like the, like even like especially in the heat of the election, like the aftermath and stuff, it's like we don't always have to agree with political opinions and uh, you know make it make our emotions about it so extreme 
that you know we're we're refusing to take you know just just enough humble pie to be like even if I believe I'm wrong you know the, the you know, what's the better option even if I believe I'm right um, that doesn't mean this person who believes something that I think is a horrible terrible thing um, deserves any less love that doesn't make them less human if anything it makes them more human um, and I, I just I, I love where you're going with that so. Well, that's actually a great segue into the next thing I was going to say um, related to to um, starting to get past these horrible, um, hateful emotions that I felt. The second realization was basically it doesn't matter anymore who was right, who was wrong. It might matter to God, but it doesn't matter to me, it, and it shouldn't matter to me. And... I think this is a common thing among divorcees uh, to to feel like there's some meaning derived from being the better person in the divorce, from being right, from being shown to the world to be right, whether the judge awards you the kids or, you know, everyone sees that you're the one that stayed in the church and your spouse left. You know, I think there is a sense of, shame about getting divorced and and the corollary to that shame is well at least i wasn't the cause and at the end of the day that's a very hollow victory yeah um and it's rarely fully true because no one sees marriage the same way or divorce the same way even though they both lived in the same marriage because they each have their own stories their own perspective and therefore really there's no right way there's just two stories that you know i mean that combine to create a whole Mm -hmm. like even even with uh, like like i lost lorraine because she passed but even with that it was you know i heck there yes there was plenty of times where i legitimately could have been like um like like, you know use that horrible thing (laughs) you you used to the the, the whole uh oh i i didn't cause this or i didn't cause that and it would have been true I didn't cause your health problems. I didn't cause your PTSD. I didn't cause any of this stuff that, you know, was making it hard for, for us to connect um, through a lot of our marriage. And um, that, that was true. And the thing is, she would say that too. She'd be like, yeah, you're right. You didn't cause it. Um, and I'm so, you know, but although sometimes she would, I'm sure she could have said she didn't, but um, maybe there's a few times she didn't. She would, she would have been right with her too, um, with the mentality of, but you're making it worse. Right. And, and with, you know, with the, my struggles with addiction, um, last month, um, I was a year clean and, you know, in retrospect, looking back, it's like with the addiction I was in the middle of, yeah, I was making it worse. Even if my addiction had nothing to do with her past or, you know, anything that, that happened between us specifically, um, it was still making things worse. And it's like, you, you can't look at who is right. You have to look at what's right. In fact, I think blame is one of the things that really kills marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you've heard Brene Brown talk, but she yeah. she talks about how one day she was holding a cup of coffee and her husband was off at work and she was getting up in the morning. She had, was holding this cup of coffee and it slipped and dropped and broke all over the floor. And her first words out of her mouth are, damn you, Steve. And she had this whole story concocted in her head about how one thing led to another and led to another, and it was all Steve's fault, even though he wasn't there when it happened. And she said, you know, I realized 
that that uh, I couldn't um, see anything go wrong in our house without having to know whose fault it was. And she's her view of it was really it's better if we don't care whose fault it was. It's something we have to deal with. Let's deal with it and not worry about who we who gets the blame. Yeah. And it's very hard for anybody to change or own up to anything when they have to be a bad person to to own it. So, and I think you know when I look at my at my realizations in letting go of that first marriage and all the anger that went with that, being able to say, you know what, it doesn't matter anymore whose fault it was that this ended. It ended. I am where I am. She is where she is. And what matters now is what we do going forward. And so that was the second big realization. And we talk in our book about balancing perspective. Um, that's something that Jeff and I, I think, connected with from the beginning is that I think we had a relatively balanced story that we were telling at that point of what happened in previous relationships. Um, I did things he, you know, he did things and it, it didn't work out, you know, and it, it becomes, I guess, I think a lot more uh, simple when you can see a bigger picture. Um, and when you, and when it hasn't worked out, really, the thing is, is it is what it is. And either we love the reality as it is, or we fight it. Mm. And if we're always fighting it, then we're always frustrated and we can't move on. One of my favorite uh, scriptures with that is, uh, or no, well, technically it's still scripture because it's word of words of apostles. But <laughs> um, uh, Elder Worthlin's "Covet Man Love It." Um, right. Oh, sorry. Which actually does remind me of the scripture I had come to mind for like a split second there. Um, mentioning this to Colette yesterday it was Doctrine and Covenant seventy eight nineteen. He that receiveth all things, all things, with thankfulness shall be made glorious. And. Oh my gosh! Like, like I mean, we, we, we both had chances to learn that. You were gonna say something about pointing fingers earlier. Or? I, I like what you're saying. Are going there with that, um, Paul, and that, um, that we find joy in all all things, even if it is hard in the moment. We can always learn something from it. So, whether it's through divorce or being single or being single and later in life, um, as we all four of us have experienced, <laughs> um, and, but still finding joy and being a good cheer and finding them, those, those granules of, of, you know, successes. You, you, even if they're just little things, you, you celebrate those little things and just enjoy the, 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 the process of who God's creating you to be through those good and bad times. I, I think, you know, one thing along the lines of what you just said that, that I experienced, and I know Kathy did too, we would go on, on dates with people during our mid-single years, and it, it was very tempting to have the first date with someone turn into a big, you know, sharing fest about what happened between you and your former wife <laughs> or husband. And, you know, it was back and forth about why your ex was such a jerk and, you know, what they did and ways they were manipulative. And, you know, every woman I dated, her former husband was a gaslighting narcissist. And, um, you know, the, the thing is, with Kathy, it wasn't like that. 
um, we could both, and, and I, I hope in this conversation, you know, I'm focused more on how I grew and things that I realized that weren't healthy and what I was doing more than what I say about my former spouse, because I found conversations with people who were growing and who had some self-awareness as a result of things they had gone through to be much more enriching experiences than someone who could just sit there and defend themselves about what happened in their divorce. And, and that's one reason why I think Kathy was so appealing to me is she could tell me the mistakes she made in her previous marriage, at least, you know, many of them. And she could tell me what she learned and how she grew. And, you know, it wasn't all about how her former husband was such an, a jerk. And, you know, you can imagine yourself being put in the shoes of that jerk if you were married to this person, you know, that um, it, it, unless we're all able to grow from what, from our own mistakes and our own experiences, then, you know, there's no, there's no uh, hope that it's going to get better because even though I, you know, I could look at a lot of things my former wife did and think, you know, yeah, that wasn't very good. That wasn't very loyal. That wasn't this. It wasn't that. But I can look back and, and realize the mistakes I made too. And the only way my relationship with Kathy will be better than that one is if I resolve to be very intentional about how I approach this marriage. And that's why our book is called Intentional Courtship. We believe intentional dating leads to intentional marriage. And, um, and also intentional ways of being as a, as a single person leads to the intentional relationships. Yeah. Maybe, right. maybe, maybe that, that kind of was the next question I was thinking of here where you're saying that, um, curious to see how you might, how, if you might be able to relate that to this question of, um, and, and, you know, kind of side note, I'm, I'm thinking with, uh, you know, the negativity you, you know, you were both able to overcome and, and put into writing, you know, this book about being intentional. Um, and dating, I, I'm curious to know what you would say to our listeners about becoming free um, from anger, especially towards you know other people who have hurt us, um, and being intentional about that, like as, as we partner with Christ. Um, what would you say to our listeners about that? Let me say one thing because that's a good segue into the other big realization that I made. But I know Kathy has things to say about this too. The, the other subject regarding anger was, you know, I, my former wife and I took our youngest child on a trip together. Oh, I guess it was in 20, 2016. Um, and it was, a, that was a big deal because we hadn't taken a trip together the last few years we were married, let alone after being divorced. Um, but we met before before we left for this trip with his counselor. And I remember having some real, she did some things that felt manipulative to me that, you know, and I could really feel myself becoming flooded in this conversation at that time. And I, I met privately later with a counselor, with, the, with that counselor and said, you know, I, 
I feel like I've forgiven her, and I feel like my heart's at peace toward her. By the way, The Anatomy of Peace is a great book if you've never read it. Um, but it, that's about how we want to have a heart at peace, not a heart at war, and that a heart at war comes from objectifying someone else, from seeing them as, as something in the way of what you want or, or as a means of getting what you want. And I know that in this meeting, when I started feeling her being manipulative, and, you know, she was an obstacle in the way of what I wanted, and my heart was going to war with her. And I remember telling the, the counselor, you know, I, that sometimes I really I feel like I've forgiven her, and then something like this happens, and I'm full of rage again, you know. And the counselor said something really interesting. She said, yeah, it's a good thing that you can recognize when you're picking up that rock. And she says, if you recognize it, then you can make a conscious decision to take a deep breath, put it back down again. When you want, when you instinctively want to go to war, choose peace. And I think that is where the Savior comes in too, uh, because he's promised us his his comfort, his help. The Holy Ghost is called the Comforter for a reason. And I believe when he said, forgive not only seven times, but 70 times seven, you may feel that you've forgiven, and yet there's enough history there that when something happens, you're triggered and all those emotions mm -hmm. come back. It doesn't mean that the forgiveness was not real. It means that you have to forgive again, that that it's not only seven times, it's 70 times seven. And so I, I can honestly say... Did you ever feel like you got past that number? Well, I can honestly say that my former wife and I are friends now. Good. Now, we're not best friends. You know, we're not texting every day and things like that. It's not like that. But we, we have a healthy level of, of fondness for each other. We try to, you know, insofar as it involves our kids, to be cordial and, and kind and... You know, it doesn't mean I trust her or that I want her back. I, I, neither of those is true. Um, but there is forgiveness, and I don't hate her. I don't want anything bad to happen to her. In fact, she had surgery a couple of years ago, and I said some prayers for her. And you remember I said earlier that I was unable to pray for her when all this was really hot. And so I, I honestly do believe that I put down the rock that doesn't mean I'll never have to put it down again. I may find myself picking it up. But I think, like Kathy mentioned before, that, that love is about agency, that, that it's, it includes honoring agency. And I think Which means it's a gift. It's, it's a gift given that we can't expect or manipulate anyone into. And I, I, so I think... Love is about honoring agency, and I also think forgiveness is a choice. And men are free to choose liberty and eternal life or captivity and death. And um, I, I started writing Proverbs during my personal development journey. Like when a little life lesson would occur to me, I would sit down and try to encapsulate it into a proverb concisely. And one of my favorite ones is that... Um, when love dies, enmity often grows in its place. Uh, 
but where love is liberating, enmity is a prison. Yeah, it's it's yeah. when you when you mentioned that scripture in Second Nephi there, um, two things. One, I think I might have felt it right and be like, hey, hey, he may, he used my favorite scripture, um, <laughs> um, because that was hers. Like you know, and, and I I know I, I can always see why because. Um, whenever you hold on to that rock that you mentioned, um, you are choosing captivity. You know, to, right. I, I, I remember I wrote a blog article a few years ago um, about the idea that no matter what you do, no matter, you know, uh, why you're doing something, whether it's like, oh, you have this idea, okay, I'm going to go do that. Or you see an advertisement on TV, oh, I want to go buy that drink now. Um, or like, you know, you hear something from a politician or a news station or your spouse or a friend or whatever, and you do it, no matter what you say or do, you are obeying someone, whether it's yourself or the news or a TV person or family or friends or, or even an enemy, whatever it is, you're obeying someone. So why not choose to obey someone who wants to and can make you a better person than any of the other people can Christ. Right. It's like that agency thing. And just, I think it, it hit nailed, you nailed home with that because any choice you make, you know, why not? If, you, if since you're obeying some, someone anyways, why not make it the person, why not choose to align yourself with the person who can heal you and them better than anyone else can? Yeah. I'm sure Kathy has more to say on this. On anger and choosing. Well, choosing there's Christ. been something I've been that's been on my mind. It, it doesn't necessarily correlate perfectly, but it is something I felt like I needed to say this whole time, and that is when my husband and I got divorced. My first husband, um, I had a lot of the fears that most mid singles do that those same things would happen again that I'd end up in a relationship where I'd experience what I did negatively with him again. Um, and, or that I would be rejected and that, you know, I'm a, I'm a rejectable kind of person, you know, that that is something I took personally, um, for a while. And both of our first spouses chose out. And I had to tell myself, and this made logical sense. And so I just had to keep telling myself over and over that he's one person in billions of people. He's just one person. I mean, he may have been significant to me, but he's really, he's not the author of whether I'm lovable. He's not like the decider of if I'm going to end up in a relationship that has the same problems. Like he was just one person, one experience. And that was, and it was done. Yeah. Like, um, and I think there's a lot of uh, fear there. Like whenever a relationship ends that, you know, it's going to repeat itself. And sometimes it does because we're attracting something because of how, who we are. So obviously that's where personal development and taking care of ourselves well comes in is so that we can grow and learn from what we did. So we don't have to learn the same lessons again with someone else doing similar things. Yeah. But Oh my gosh. Like, so you said there, I was talking actually with Colette about this last night, um, that I, one of the reasons, um, not not like specifically like this kind of exact train of thought, but the principle was in my mind last night was one of the reasons I um, there's such a sharp contrast 
between who I was in Canada, um, you know, there was always, I, similar to the way you just, uh, or was it Jeff, was it you or Jess, I forget which one, um, had said, you know, the last few days, I think it was Jess, who said the last few days of her first marriage was screening matches. And, you know, yeah, Lorraine, and I had, yeah Lorraine and I had quite a few of those, but um, the reason I, I just, I cannot bring myself, no matter how badly I'm hurt or frustrated at someone, the reason I can't bring myself to raise my voice to them or, you know, you know, drawing things, whatever it is, <laughs> um, uh, is because I've seen what that does. And I am both more afraid of that and just don't want any part of it. Like, I love peace more than I love that because of what I've seen it do and the, the, the destruction it causes. Um, I've seen how... You learned, you learned what you don't want. Yeah. I, I mean, I grew up in a home where there was more of that than I would have, would have liked, and I've seen how that anger is used to shut other people down and, you know, um, keep people from, from talking and, and really um, um, used as a weapon in a lot of ways, too. I think along the lines of what Kathy just said, I think it's what she said is really significant. Um, by the way, she is super lovable. Just, mm -hmm. just so you know, I mean, her ex former husband was totally wrong about that. To but. this one man, <laughs> who I'd rather um, listen to anyway. No, she's super, in this, super in lovable. This case, yes. But anyway, um, but the thing that she's talking about involves a lot of, of trauma. And we think of trauma like, you know, the, the war veteran who hears a firecracker go off and is instantly ready for action, you know. Um, and, but we all have, have especially mid-singles, whether you lost a spouse to, to death or divorce or whether you just had lots of rejection and never got married. And sometimes PTSD um, comes from consistent... Uh struggles like on a daily basis yeah, like even that's, help that's the same that's the way it was for for Lorraine growing up she had 15 years of abuse in a, a house where she was adopted where it was just you know there, there wasn't anything she could do right anything she right. did wrong was met with verbal thrashing beatings you name it she had it happen and so because right. of that, the repetitiveness, like you mentioned of that, it, it creates problems. So. Right. And even if it weren't for that, chronic illness, I think, can cause it, too. Yeah. When, so, so when we have trauma, that, that is stored in our bodies, in our minds, and we have a tendency to overreact to certain it, – it's a survival thing. And that's the thing. Our brain is 2 million years old. It is not built – for happiness inherently it's built for survival and so it constant awareness of threats is what our brain does and they keep us safe to a degree but they make us miserable too <laughs> and so the the part of of getting out of that of breaking out of that misery is is figuring out how to to feel safe with a narrower set of things that that we're actually fearful of or worried about. And it, it's very common among people who have experienced relationship trauma, um, as we have, as, as, I mean, you've talked about your own, but one of the, 
the, the most difficult things for, for divorcees that I dated and met and otherwise interacted with is, is not seeing red flags in everything. Uh, and, you know, people will often say, I've learned so much from my divorce. And what they learned is what to be afraid of. And there's a whole list of things yeah. that they consider red flags. And no, you didn't learn anything if that's what you learned, you know, because all well, that's going to do is make... learn something, but not necessarily what was in their highest good or what would lead to a healthy relationship in the future. Yeah. And right. making sure to get uh, to break those uh, patterns that are necessary for um, making a, a ha healthy and happy relationship with a new person. Yeah. It's like, did you learn to be afraid or did you learn to, you know, did you learn what actually is going to create love in your life? Right. Right. So. Kathy, Kathy can tell you, I, I don't lose my temper. I'm kind of like you, Paul. I haven't lost my temper since in my 20s. But I can have a pretty sharp tongue when it comes to coming up with a witty comment that will cut you to the core. Yeah, as a lawyer, and he's got he, he's got skills. He's got math <laughs> skills and language. And, and so Kathy and I react differently to being flooded. But here's the thing I want to say about that, because this is an important thing regarding relationships. Do you know what we mean by emotional flooding? Yeah, just kind of like when you feel like overloaded and it just kind of bleh comes out. Yeah, triggered and just really like filled with anxiety. Yeah. So, so, and, and that happens because of trauma, because we get triggered and and our fears come to the surface. So, so one thing that that Kathy and I have agreed on in our marriage is um, either person at any time can call a timeout. Now, if I feel flooded or if I think she's flooded, I can call a timeout or vice versa. Um, and we take at least 20 minutes and, and hopefully, you know, rarely longer than a day, but because it isn't, this isn't for, um, the silent treatment. It's not to hold somebody over the fire. Although we found sometimes um, inconveniently, it does go overnight because if we're both really tired and exhausted, it's not a good time to like mentally figure, you know, something Col difficult Colette out. Is, Colette is super, super good at like... Whenever she's, I, the way to the way you guys put it, whenever she's feeling flooded, she's always super good at just being like, <laughs> I, I need a timeout. And she'll just be very quiet about it, but I'm like, oh, okay, wow, you did that really good. <laughs> right. Yeah, if you can catch it before you get, like, so upset you, you start saying things you regret, um, that is it's so much easier to bounce back from. Yeah. And, and, it's, and when we call the timeout, it pauses right then. It's a pause button. There's no, no last words, no parting shots, you know, no one more thing. It's like, okay, if somebody calls timeout, that's sacred. Right now, the conversation pauses. And, and we, we actually, I should probably, we should tell them this. We both had brief second marriages to rageaholics. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, good people in their own way and, um, you know, with difficult backgrounds that lead to this, this, you know, reactionary, you know, way of being, but, um, zero to 60 like that. Yeah. So that is, uh, something we talked about pretty early on is, okay, how do we prevent that? You know, because we both have strong personalities. We both have strong opinions. 
um, we knew that, you know, we'd clash sometimes. So, like, how are we going to handle that so we don't do that? Yeah. That's I, and, I mean, in fact, while we were dating, there was this night that we were discussing. We actually broke up, and we were friends for a year, and then we got back together and started to date for marriage. That's a long story, but... After we got back together, we started talking about certain details of when we broke up, and some of that was painful. Um, you know, things both of us felt hurt over, and there were moments where it would get really tense. And I remember Kathy saying probably four or five times that night, okay, we need to stop or we need to say a prayer because this is getting out of hand. And we would pray, and it seemed like that would focus our attention back on the relationship instead of our own, I need, I need, you know, and, and it felt like that would, would calm things down and shift the, the energy in our conversation. And I remember thinking, yes, this is the woman I want to marry. Um, but the, the timeout, the, the point of the timeout and bringing it up as you were talking about anger, I think anger is, it involves choices. Now you can get to a point where you're out of control. You know, if you think about tempers, temperament, you know, te uh, temperance, it's about bridling your passions. To temper your passions or is to bridle your passions. Well, there, there's a point when it can get out of control and you have to figure that out before it gets to that point and, and control it. And, so one, one t tool is the timeout that we've talked about. Another is, and this we sort of came up with and we're still playing with it, but if we find that we're both getting so excited that we're talking over each other, talking really fast, interrupting, either person can say, slow down. And then we're supposed to take a big deep breath and take turns. It's like a prerequisite to the timeout. <laughs> Like, if we think that we can slow down and actually be productive in our conversation, then we don't need a timeout, kind of a preventative measure. We're not completely measure. flooded yet, you know. That's, that's one of the things I love most about with, uh, from the beginning with Colette and I, has been, like, like we, we, we were able to talk about really big, sensitive stuff very personally, very deep, very quickly, um, like, within a few weeks, uh, I had felt Lorraine telling me, okay, you guys in your conversations keep saying, if this leads to the temple, could you please start saying when? <laughs> and I'm like, looking up like, oh, uh, okay. Because, and uh, that could happen because, you know, there was that, there was, it, it, conversations were always able to do the whole take turns thing. We're going to take the slow, we're going to just, we're going to just say things matter of factly. And if someone is bothered by something, we're going to be okay, well, that, that's kind of worrying to me for this reason, that reason. You know, anger wasn't a part of it. It doesn't have to be. Can we, you know, and that, that carries over. I like, like that you mentioned that. Um, just before we begin to wrap up here, I like that, that you mentioned that because, um, oh my gosh, especially after President Nelson's recent video um, about gratitude, uh, and healing on a global level. I think that's something that so many people miss, whether they're in a marriage or not, whether it's just a friendship or something with their siblings or, uh, you know, leaders, politicians, whatever it may be. Um, 
approaching, I, mean, I had one friend from high school, uh, interesting I actually remember this, uh, Belinda, if you're listening to this, uh, Becerra I think is, no, she's married now, I forget her married name. Um, anyways, so she listened to this, thank you for this. Um, she had said that when she went to go and register to vote um, and do her research and stuff, she's like, okay, and she posted this, she goes, I'm gonna go and just forget my feelings for 30 minutes. And I'm going to look at these things objectively and say, okay, what do I believe about this and this and this and this? And could I possibly be wrong about this and this? What, I want, what do I know I'm right about? And she kind of, you know, kind of putting your feelings off for long enough to look at it objectively. I'm like, everybody should do that. Not just with voting, but with relationships, with how we talk to people, how I talk about people. <laughs> Stop being angry and just put that emotion off for a minute, you know. What did President Monson say? You know, can a can a person be angry and not sin, right? So. Right, and we're you know we're not t telling people like kind of like you just alluded to. We're not telling people um, just forever to cut off the conversation. No, you got to come back as soon as you as you both are ready and take the conversation up again. Um, and then normally we solve it quickly. And for us, we're both but, very logical people. And um, if we're already flooded and we're in a timeout for that reason, it's actually best for us to like take a walk or like do something completely unrelated and not think about it. Because if we think about it, we're going to start creating stories and and telling ourselves things that may not be true based on our emotion. Yeah, and pray for and about each other, you know. Right. Another point I want to make before we wrap up too is this is part of intentional courtship as well as intentional marriage. If you just let your mind and body do whatever they want to do, um, you know, it's it can get ugly. And the, you may not end up where you want to go if you don't set the intention of where you want to go. We, we tell our kids, for example, I think a lot of Latter-day Saints tell their kids, make up your mind before you're offered drugs what you're going to say yeah. so that when you're in the heat of the moment you don't have to think about it you're already ready with the response well it's the same sort of thing if you're dealing with conflict in your marriage or anger or whatever make up your mind beforehand what you're going to do and have the rules set the agreement in place so that you don't have to think about it you don't think right when you're mad mm -hmm. and you know you've got to have it firmly in your mind okay, how am I going to deal with this when it does come up so that you go on autopilot at that point? Okay, we're taking a time out or whatever, you know? Right. And, and that's, that is, I think, the, the crux of why it's important to be intentional about your relationships. Right. So the freedom from previous relationships through forgiveness, freedom to explore new relationships healthfully, if you have learned the lessons you were meant to from those relationships and grow from it. Yeah. And of course, Christ is the catalyst to all of it. So. Absolutely. And, and the love. Love again and having your heart open to right. with that freedom. Which is, and that's why we called our organization Love in later years. Um, the acronym is LILY. 
And um, we are excited about our growing community. We have a lot of positive commentary going. Um, not all of our members are mid-singles. A lot of them are. But some of them are, you know, counselors, bishops, um, people who've worked with mid-singles or who have been previously been, been mid-singles who all are able to connect and relate and help each other. And we love the communication that's happening on our page, our Facebook page. That's awesome. Yeah, so I mean, we'd invite the two of you as well as any of your listeners to yeah, you guys would be great to find us at Love It Later Years at on um, Facebook, on Facebook and or Instagram. Instagram. I was going to say, what do, you, what do you define as later years? Because I'm 34, she's 35. <laughs> Good question. Actually, later is anything beyond the possibility of a first. Sorry, anyone, anyone beyond the possibility of a first marriage in their 20s. So. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty liberal. We, I mean, we kind of think it's anyone whose life has gotten more complicated with divorce or being older and single and not married yet or um, or having kids, you know, and yeah. single parents, you know. I mean, we don't think you're in the later years of your life, but we think you're later than a first marriage in your 20s. Right. So, and also it's meant to build people up into, you know, relationships that can last into your later years. It's not just finding love like when we're old, geriatric, you know, it's it's finding love wherever we're, we are now so that we can create, I think, what we call warm memories, like, you know, when we're, we're older. Yeah. Did you ever see that sappy movie, An Affair to Remember? Winter must be cold for those with no warm memories. Yeah, We've already missed the spring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you mentioned the winter thing because I was going to say earlier, um, whether you know, regardless of which side of a bad relationship you're on, whether it's marriage or friends or family work, whatever it is, don't like was that that meme I saw a few years back during winter. It was a Canadian winter where it was just like snow, warm, snow, warm, and it's like, don't be like that winter where somebody made a meme meme about it that said, this winter is like the angry woman who keeps coming back in the room. And one more thing. And I'm like, yeah, don't don't be like that, Winter. <laughs> so, right. Thanks so much, guys, for being on today. We'll have to include links to what you guys mentioned. I'll, when I go through and edit this, I'll, I'll include links to stuff. And um, yeah, and if you're confused about any of it, feel free to let us know, and we'll <laughs> yeah, send sure. you links too. So, so looking forward to that. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Thank Bye. you so much. So awesome couple um i i honestly i really like the fact that um for being on their third marriage each of them it's like um they the experience they've gained collectively and individually it's like kind of the, the almost like in a certain sense like colette and i like they're like oh we're, we're this is just a good match <laughs> um especially with lessons they learned about forgiving people. Um, Jeff talked a lot about uh, going from, as he put it, like, you know, I I truly hated her. It's like, I mean, going from really hating somebody and just wishing evil to happen to them to, you know, being friends, um, that's a big leap for a lot of people. I think there's a lot of broken families out there because um, people are just, I mean, they... Even those who want to forgive, and they say, "Oh, I know, I need to," but that that just hurts so bad. I don't know if I can just like, how, how do I do that? And, and uh, he gave some good ideas on there, you know, about how to overcome emotions like that. So.
Yeah, and just making sure to turn to the Lord, you know, make it a matter of prayer. Um, read books if they're out there. He yeah, mentioned several yeah. um, that uh, we'll link with this um, mm-hmm. that truly hit the, I guess, the hammer and the nail that, um, like, the, let's see. Yeah, there's Love in Later Years, which is theirs. Uh-huh. Um, there's uh, Harriet Lerner's book, The Dance of Intimacy. And then The Real Love by Greg Bear. Dr. Greg Bear, yep. And then The Anatomy of Peace. Um, we found a couple of versions. He didn't say what uh, the author was. But that'll be in the description of the episode. Yeah, so we'll... Look for that. Um, yeah. Good stuff. I mean, like, the, the one about real love, um, I think that was fantastic because it's like, the, the question he asked that kind of really, you know, got him right there in the heart. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, what if they were forced to stay with you? Would you still be happy? It's like, oh, uh, maybe not. <laughs> That's Satan's plan. <laughs> like, how did Brad Wilcox put it? He's like, heaven will not be heaven for those who have not become chosen to become heavenly. It's like, celestial marriage, well, quote unquote, celestial marriage. It's not celestial if the one person doesn't want to be in it. So there's there's no fake in it. Yeah, and it, it's a lot. My sister and I also discussed this book previously um, to this podcast, and it's really interesting that it came back. To, the real love one, yeah. The real love one, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And that it's kind of like going to um, a fast food place, you pick it, whatever, um, where that's all imitation food in the sense that it's not real food. It's fast, convenient, but then you you can have real food that you've gone home, you, you've tenderly made it with all the proper, like from scratch. TLC. And yeah. TLC, you even add a little love in it like my grandma did. Um, <laughs> she had a little, anyway, like, like little you, shaker. Like, like, like you do. Yes, like I do. I put, I put love in my dishes. Cause Colette is amazing in the <laughs> kitchen. <laughs> yes. So, but yeah, it's the same thing where you can have a a facade of love uh, or conditional love rather than unconditional love where that's real love unconditional love like the savior has for us we should have for our spouses and our family and And that's a choice it's something you want to do yeah choose to to have that kind of love not force that kind of love Mm -hmm. yep you're talking about that oh last night i think it was the night before it might have been saturday (laughs) <laughs> where, uh, um, where, like, we had been, been, yeah, we had been in similar situations where it was like, you know, like, I know my parents are aware of this. Growing up, we, we had this dynamic of, okay, whoa, whoa, hold on, stop you two. Um, go hug each other, say you're sorry, and mean it. It's like, wait, 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 hold on. In my mind last night, I was, you were talking about the whole idea of, you can't force someone to mean it. What, what, no, 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 I'm sorry, that's not how it works. It has to be something they actually want to do, you know. I mean, there's the fake it till you make it thing, but I mean that that's kind of hit and miss, you know. Like you have to be able to help someone come to the point where they legitimately feel sorry for something, or they legitimately want to love, or you know, you can't force intention. It has to be something that's developed and learned and fostered, and you have to give the right environment for it. So yeah, and using there are tools out there 
that you can use to help heal, um, to work towards that choosing in, um, for those who are struggling currently, um, there, uh, I know that I, I have used them, there's just, there's a lot of great useful to, to tips and tricks, there's, um, journaling it out there's professional help um whether it's uh with a therapist or uh some a, people life, use, a life coach a health coach yeah, some people use medication too if it's severe enough you know yeah or seeking out people who have who can be mentors in in the area that you're weak in that yeah. You don't have to go through the hard times you know, alone. You know, that's one of the reasons why Colette and I are actually <laughs> trying right now to figure out um, starting a life coaching business. I don't know when that's going to happen. But to, to you know help people with this kind of thing. So Great stuff in this episode. Um, any final thoughts you have, hon? Just put your trust in the Lord. Don't go to bed angry. Talk things oh, out. Yeah. Be open. Even if it hurts, it's, it's way better to be truthful than than lies lies and you can be be truthful and kind at the same time you know that is possible give yourself a time out if you need to to calm down and then address the situation in a calm manner and you know in this episode they the way they kind of gave a synopsis of what that looked like for them Mm -hmm. um, the way Kathy kind of described a little bit of that just spot on there love that yeah don't don't drag it out don't do a cold treatment or ghost your partner yeah if you need time out make it temporary um and just talk things out calmly kindly without raising voices say a prayer before you start that's yes. what we do yes 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 it, yes it gets to that point <laughs> yeah we're both spirit. feeling tense yeah it's just like Heavenly father um we're talking about something that's hard here we're struggling a bit um we're not angry but we don't want to get there we don't want to get hurt and frustrated with each other, so give us words. <laughs> please. So, Anyways, if you like this episode, please go and give that follow link a click on Um Share, share, share this episode with family and friends, with mid-singles, with your parents, with your grandparents, if you have family issues the same as uh, Jeff and Kathy. Um, and last of all oh sorry written reviews on facebook itunes and stitcher are great so feel free to leave those please and remember to stand steadfastly in the freedom god gave us until next time this is paul pulsifer and colette pulsifer good night